been thinking a lot lately about God's glory and God's glory being the most important thing to God because God's glory, his beauty, his majesty is what attracts us to him and and what keeps us coming to him for salvation. So I began thinking about, so how does, how do we interpret scripture through God's desire for his own glory? I think if we went to Genesis 1-1 and it says, in the beginning, God. So before there was any creation, there's just the Trinity. They are, have a wonderful relationship with one another. They are uplifting to one another. And I am assuming that they decided it's time to share our glory with someone or something. And so the idea, I don't know if anything ever occurs to God. It kind of hurts the head if he knows everything. But they decide within a Trinitarian Godhead to create what we exist on. Create the earth, create people, create all of nature, create the universe. All of it tells of the glory of God, as as Psalms suggest to us. The heavens declare the glory of God. They declare his power. They declare his creative abilities. All of it puts his glory on display. But also in deciding to create humanity, then it puts his relational glory on display. So kind of a 10,000 foot view of the biblical narrative. I, I get this from a guy named Greg Kokel from Stand to Reason. And he calls it Credo, and it goes something like this. In the beginning, God created all things, including his most precious creation, mankind. But something went wrong. Man sinned and created a separation between God and man. But God had a rescue plan. He stepped into humanity in the person of Jesus Christ and solved the sin problem on the cross. And how you and I respond to the cross and the person of the cross determines what happens to us in the final resurrection. So with this 10,000 foot view, you've got the creation, the fall, the redemption, and the resurrection. And and God's, God's telling of his glory is all throughout this. And I believe he, he allowed, I don't know if I can say design, maybe I can say design, all of this, the, the fall and the redemption, so that we would understand his grace. We would understand his forgiveness and just to, to the ex- extent that he would go to forgive and to pay on our behalf. So all of it, everything that happens in the universe and in our lives is to reveal how good and how powerful and how holy and how amazing God is. That's the whole purpose of creation. So let's let's step down from the 10,000 foot view down to the 1,000 foot view and let's look in the beginning of creation. I, I think we have to look at what happened in the fall to the relationship between God and man. And one of the things we think about, obviously it causes a distance between us in relationship, so it damages the friendship with God. 
but how it damages the friendship, what what exactly happened there. And I think the friendship was damaged because his image was damaged. If we are created to tell forth his glory, to, to show his goodness to the rest of creation, and we chose our own way to seek goodness with apart from him, then that causes a problem. There's mistrust there, and every good relationship is really based on trust. And when Satan entered into the scene in the garden in, in Genesis chapter 3, he says, did God really say? In other words, are you sure you can trust God? You're not going to die if you do this, if you eat of that forbidden fruit. So immediately Satan cuts at the trust of God. Now I, I want to step quickly to a passage in Romans 1 chapter, or Romans chapter 1 verse 18 that says the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And I think we can understand the truth in this passage because what, what you have to ask is what kind of truth is suppressed by our sin? What kind of truth is hidden by our misbehavior? And I believe it's the truth of God's goodness and God's glory. And since we are created in his image, we are created to tell the story of who he is and how good he is and how amazing he is. And we tell that through our actions. If we then decide to do actions other than what God desires, then we start hiding the truth of who God is. We start hiding his goodness behind our actions. So I believe that's actually what damaged the relationship is not only is there a lack of trust on behalf of Adam and Eve towards God, but also now they start going against the very reason he created everything in the beginning is to show his glory and to share his amazing character and nature with all of creation. Now they're doing things that are contrary to that. So I think that's where the damaged relationship comes into play, and, and that's where they start going against God's design. So fast forward to Abraham. I don't know how many years it is. You could, you could trace it. but So Abraham, God decides, I still want to show my glory. Mankind has gotten so bad that there's, there's death and destruction and lying and killing and murder and all this stuff on the earth. So he chooses one man, Abraham and basically promises that I will bless you and you will be through you all the nations will be blessed I believe this is in Genesis chapter 12 and so God decides I want to make an example of Abraham and he wants to make an example of him by blessing him beyond measure and one of the things that gets revealed in this relationship with Abraham is Abraham's trust. At one point, God promises that he's going to multiply him. He tells Abraham to go outside, look at the stars, and if you can count them, 
don't remember the exact phrase that he used, but basically, if you can count them, that's how many descendants I will give you. And at this point, Abraham and Sarah had no children. And from what I've heard back in that culture, that's that's kind of a well, it's, it's a social hindrance. If God hasn't blessed you with children, it must mean that God is not pleased with you. And so Abraham and Sarah are without children, and God blesses Abraham and says, not only will I give you a child, I'm going I'm to prosper you so much that you will have more children than the sands of the sea, than the grains of, the sand, the grains of sand on a seashore. And what's interesting about that, Abraham believed God, and it says that he was credited with righteousness. In other words, he was basically declared not guilty on anything that he had done to that point in his life because he believed that God was good and he was glorious and that he was a being of his word that he would follow through. And Abraham is a wonderful example to us because from the time that he was promised the child through Sarah to the point where where Isaac was born, we're talking 25 years. So imagine waiting for a promise of God for 25 years, even to the point where I believe Abraham was, was about 100 years old and Sarah was 90 years old. And so they've waited so long that Sarah has gone beyond childbearing years. So now believing him has gone beyond the practical experience of humanity where, okay, we we missed the boat. It's too late now. How can God act contrary to what happens uh, in the natural course of life with humanity? But God shows himself glorious and powerful by giving them a child in their own age, and again, displaying his glory through that through that experience and through that story. And it's recorded for us so that we know that God is not limited by the natural course of humanity. He can go beyond. If he can speak and all of creation pops into existence at the mere sound of his voice, certainly he can get, give them a child beyond childbearing years. So Abraham, he made an example of Abraham. He gave Abraham the faith to believe beyond the normal course of actions. Fast forward then, so Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob had 12 sons, we know them as the children, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Israel, Jacob had 12 sons, and so we know them as the 12 tribes of Israel. And God uses this lineage to continue to show forth his glory and his goodness for how he treats this people. And it start it, it continues on with Joseph and Joseph is in a well, I wouldn't want to go through it, but in a tragedy where he gets sold off by his brothers and stolen away and he's imprisoned in Egypt. Again, another circumstance where, man, this doesn't seem glorious, but God uses that. He lets things get bad enough so that we can see the glory of his rescue. He uses that to show that 
there's going to be this bad famine where where for seven years there won't be any food being produced and so he allows joseph to be sold into egypt and and get to the point where he becomes the second in charge in all of egypt and god speaks through joseph to say hey it's time to start storing up grain because i'm going to do it i'm going to have a famine here and so he shows that he's able to rescue at that time fast forward some more through um i don't know how many years it is by the time moses comes along but they are in bondage they're in slavery and it's time for god to rescue them and so god shows his power and shows his glory against egypt with the 10 plagues that they're they're enslaved and god wants to set them free so he's able to display his glory by doing these 10 plagues these 10 really pronouncements against the gods of egypt so he's declaring he is greater in power and greater in strength than the 10 major gods that they worshiped in Egypt. Now, at this point, they have been somewhat infected by this, by believing in other gods, by idolatry. They were, they have been immersed in this society for, I think, hundreds of years. Not sure on that. So they're, they're not used to worshiping God. They're not used to being focused on God's glory and his beauty and his majesty. And they've been, um, they've grown accustomed to worshiping these fake gods and attributing to these fake gods the provision of food and having the sun come up and all this stuff. So here's where there's a certain amount of rebellion and God decides there's still the promise to Abraham that Abraham would, through Abraham, all the blessing, the blessing would go to all the nations. So the promise still stands that God is going to bless, but in the meantime, their behavior has gotten bad enough to where God needs to institute a set of rules. This set of rules, as we learn in Galatians, is not meant to make them, um, I don't know, it's not meant to open their eyes and not make them love God but really it's a temporary it's a temporary fix to curb their behavior so god gives them the 10 commandments he gives them the law to show them to point out the areas where they are going wrong and the the point of the law really is to set them apart from the other nations they were doing all these things that the other nations were doing and god was not really being portrayed because Israel was meant to be a nation that was different. They were meant to be an example and God gave his glory to them to show the world what God was like and they weren't doing it. So God was not being glorified. No one was being, no one was being made known of God's amazing character and nature. So he gave them laws to correct their behavior. Even though this wasn't going to change their heart, it was going to at least minimize the ways in which they were rebelling against God. So he gave them the law to curb their behavior. 
Uh, fast forward then to the prophets. You've got Jeremiah, you've got Elijah and Elisha. You see a lot of miracles happening where God is delivering from different nations that are around them. If the people trusted that God was powerful enough to do it and that he was good enough to want to do it for them. So we see several instances of miracles where, where God showed his glory to the people. But also, in places like Ezekiel 36, and places like Jeremiah 33, there is this promise that not only can he rescue them from the nations, but he can also rescue them from their own depravity, from their own disobedience that he wouldn't just provide a rule book for their behavior, but he would also provide them his spirit to grant them a chance to, not a chance, to grant them a different heart so that they can properly show his glory. Because remember in Romans 1.18, his wrath is poured out against all unrighteousness because it hides the truth. So, he is going to repair that as the prophets were were foretelling. He's going to repair that by giving us the Holy Spirit to start to enable us to show his glory to the world. And that's ultimately the blessing. So fast forward some more to where Jesus actually steps into humanity to fix the problem. I think I defined before, but there are two problems. There's broken relationship and there's broken glory. And Jesus stepped into humanity, right, to, to take care of the sin problem on the cross and thereby heal the relationship problem. In other words, when he died for our sins, he took the punishment on ourselves or on himself so that we could be declared not guilty. But there's still this glorification problem. As long as we keep acting in a sinful way, we hide his glory. So it's, it's interesting to see that he doesn't fix the glory problem first. He fixed the relationship problem first. It's, I think it says in, in Romans 5.1 that we have peace with God. That peace with God, I think, has to happen first. We have to be declared not guilty. And it, and we're declared not guilty in the same way that Abraham was, that Abraham believed God and it was credited, credited to him as righteousness. In other words, he was declared not guilty because he believed what God said about himself. In the same way, the message of the cross is not only that our sins are forgiven, but really, the true message of the cross is God is a forgiver. It goes beyond just our forgiveness. It, it points to one who is so good that he's a forgiver and that he loves us. And as we hear that about God, that he is a forgiver, and we believe it in our hearts that he is powerful enough to forgive our sins, but also good enough to want to forgive our sins, we believe that and we seek for more of him and then we are declared not guilty. So I think primarily 
Jesus is dying on the cross takes care of the relationship problems so that we're not afraid of him, so that we can come to him. We know that he loves us and we can come to him and ask for help. And then I think that's why he says, Jesus says to the disciples in John 14 through 16, it is better that I go so that the spirit can come in my place. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. The whole purpose behind the spirit coming is to change now the glory problem. God puts his very goodness, love, amazing nature in us so that we can tell the story of who God is. As we are good to other people, as we are loving to our friends and family and strangers even, as we do those things, God's true story is revealed. As people ask us, why why did you do that? No one does that. Now we're starting to tell forth the glory of God, the whole purpose of his creation, the whole purpose of us being created. And even in 2 Peter chapter 1, I believe it is, that it says that we will be partakers of his divine nature. And to think that God wants to put his goodness in us. He doesn't expect us to come up with it on our own. When he says, be holy as I am holy, he's really declaring his desire of what he wants to do in us. We're not God. We can't be perfect like God. We can't be as good as God because we're only God can be God. But if God can be God in us through his spirit, now he is the one being glorious, but he's doing it through us and we become channels of his glory as we do good deeds and good, good works to other people and desire to tell his story. And at the end, so there's the last part of the story, there's the resurrection. So after we're done with this life, then we get to spend the rest of our existence, all of eternity, with an amazing, beautiful, glorious, uh, loving God. And it's, it's not about streets of gold, it's not about mansions, it's not about having all the food and comforts that you want. It's about getting to spend time with the one, with the most amazing person in the universe. Persons, I should say, as, as the Trinity says. So if you think about all of that, really, in my mind, it changes the gospel message that it's not just about forgiveness, it's about the forgiver. When we have conversations with others and we share the gospel, really the good news should be about God's goodness, God's amazing character, and how much he wants to love us. And really, we're, we're trying to convince them and asking for God to open their eyes to see that glory it really changes it changes the ball game it's now it's not just if, if they do make a decision for Christ it's it's not just learning all the rules but really it's it's learning about this amazing God who loves us and wants wants us to know him so that's in my mind through the lens of God's glory that's kind of the overview of scripture is all throughout scripture, I believe we are to be looking for the kind of glory that God is wanting to tell us. And, and 
all these stories with, with Gideon, with the prophets, with Moses, with Abraham, in every one of those stories and every one of those experiences, God is telling something about himself. And I'm thinking about 2 Corinthians 3, I think it's 19, that, that uh, I'm not going to remember it now, but it's talking about we're looking at God's glory, and as we're doing so, it, it changes us when we're looking at his glory. I really want to be able to say that passage, but I don't remember it. Look up 2 Corinthians 3.19. Here it is. We all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed by the Spirit from faith to faith or from glory to glory or something like that. Really, it just paints the picture as as we see God's glory more and more, we ourselves are changed more and more. So the gospel message is God's amazing. And he's a forgiver. And he's got power to change your life. And he's got power to, um, to come in and make you new. So I hope that's a, a helpful look at kind of the overall narrative of the Old and New Testament. And it's been helpful for me, for me to think about it in through the lens of God's desire for his own glory and his desire for us to know it.